Someone, did that turn on? Yes. If you see someone wearing a jersey of a team that's not playing today, be kind to them. They're, gr they're grieving and they have hope. So let's empower those people, not look down on them. Just give them a good look in the eyes and say, how are you doing today? So. Yeah, I see some teams that haven't been to the Super Bowl in a while out there. Oh, I just broke my own rule. Okay. Well, good morning. Um, we're talking about being all in this month. All in. And um, um, today, we're talking about the path to wholeness. Path to wholeness. And this collaborative effort um, that we're doing with, with uh, 20 plus other churches. Um, the goal today was to talk about the, ha the path to happiness, but in my reflection, in my study, I'm like, there's got to be maybe a little bit of a different word okay. that has a, a little bit of a bigger meaning, wholeness. Nice. What, you, what is happiness really trying to get to, yeah. right? And so the path to wholeness. Um, if you want to flip anywhere in your Bible to get ready, uh, flip over to 1 Kings 19. That'll be the main text today. Yeah, we're hitting those Old Testament stories this month. Yeah. You know, last week we talked about being all in, um, and it's the secret, the secret to success. That was last week, yeah? yeah? The secret to success. And I don't think I, I, we necessarily verbatim on Sunday morning defined success. Hopefully that's something you, in reading the passage, if you read 2 Chronicles 14 through 16, that should become clear the more you read it. What is success? What is spiritual success? That's hopefully something you wrestled with or talked about during the week. I know we did um, in our groups. But what is spiritual success? I feel like we've got to double back and say, what is success? Because if we're not careful in defining those words, these terms, these ideas, we're going to automatically fill them in with our assumptions. Right. That's dangerous. We can't do that. right? We've got to stop and think. So what is spiritual success? What we saw last week with King Asa was that spiritual success is about enduring trust in God despite the circumstances, right? And that uh, we talked about in our groups last week, what is success? Success, people are often trying to achieve something. That's a synonym for success, achieving something. What are people trying to achieve? And we talked about how people often ways in, in, in worldly ways are all striving for peace. Now, what do we see last week in the text? Where does peace come from? From God, from trusting in God. So anyways, to, to pull that in, I'm, I'm trying to transition us and bring those ideas from last week because last week's message is not staying there. We're bringing it in. This all builds on one another. Amen? So we looked at King Asa, how he was wholeheartedly committed to God and how God blessed him with peace because of it. Then we looked at his latter, the latter part of his life, and he changed a little bit. It seems like maybe he was forgetting that principle of trusting in God. And the river of success seemed to stop flowing in his life. Why? Second Chronicles 16.9 says, The eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. God is always looking for people who are all in, wholeheartedly 
committed. All in is not an appearance. It is about your hearts. This week, we're going to look at being how being all in not only leads to spiritual success, but it also leads to wholeness. Okay? Nice. Well, let's get to it. We got a little backstory here in 1 Kings 18. Um, do you guys know this story? Are you guys there in your Bible, 1 Kings? All right, 1 Kings 18, there's this one of our favorite Bible stories, right? Like one of these blood pumping, you have Elijah facing off with the prophets of Baal, and, and they're just having the sh- showdown is what we call it. We call it the showdown, right? This is epic, right? Epic. Like how has Pure Flix or one of those channels not done a movie on this? Anyways, um, but that's the context here. Elijah just came off uh, a huge win, quote-unquote win, at Mount Carmel. And I say quote-unquote for a reason, because how does he respond? Does he respond like a winner? (laughs) Not really. He won the battle, but not the war. You know, he, and, and what we see there, if we think about this, is Elijah had defined success as that event at Mount Carmel, as being the end all for Israel, to get all the people to repent and come back to God. And did that happen? No. He hung success based on his own expectations, not what God said was going to happen, but what he thought would happen. This led Elijah to an odd place when he's in that cave, right, with God. It led them to this place. Well, first, before he even got to the cave, he's just, he just lays down outside in the heat under a tree, and he's like, I'm done. Like, I'm done, done. You know what I mean? Like, into all God. He says, I'm no better than my fathers. What does he mean than that? He means all these people that have come before me to try to lead Israel back to God, they couldn't do it. I'm no better than them. I.e., I, I thought I would be the one to do it. Yes? Are you in his mind, his heart? Do you see that? It's like, if I can't do that, then God, why am I here? This led Elijah to a place of fear, depression, discouragement, self-pity, isolation. He felt like he was the only one that was faithful to God. These are kind of indicators, and maybe, maybe you've been here. I've been here. These are indicators when we start to define success according to our own ideas instead of what God says. And, these are, and this is what kind of ends up happening. Oh, I'm the only one. No one else is. There's not enough this. There's not enough that. Things didn't go this way. And you just kind of end up in this dark place, Yeah. Either that didn't make sense or that was really real because it got quiet. <laughs> Let's go to 1 Kings 19. We're going to pick up here in verse 13, okay? I, I, I really do suggest in your study, in your contemplation this week, read all of 19. That first part, there's a lot of depth there. But we're going to pick up at verse 13, okay? When, when Elijah heard it, when he heard God, Remember, God was appearing to him, right? He pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left. Now they're trying to kill me too. The Lord said to him, go back to 
you came, go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazael, king over Aram. Also, anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel. And anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat from Ebel Meholah, to succeed you as prophet. Jehu will put to death any who escaped the sword of Hazael. And Elijah will put to death any who escaped the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all those whose knees have not bowed down to Baal, Elijah, you're not alone, and whose mouths have not kissed him. What's God's solution when Elijah's in the state, caught up in his own definition of success? Go back, trust in me. There's more than you can see, Elijah. There's more going on here. I'm always doing more than what you can see. You need to take that chutzpah, that boldness you have, that ridiculous, unwise, illogical trust you have in me and pass it on. Even though Elijah had won a huge battle, God reveals that permanent victories are not solved by events, but by God partnering with his people. Amen? Amen? Elijah goes back, and here's what happens. Going too fast, or are you guys good? All right, let's keep going. Verse 19, so Elijah went from there and found Elisha, son of Shaphat. He was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen, and he himself was driving the 12th pair. Elijah went up to him, threw his cloak around him. Elijah then left his oxen and ran after Elijah. Let me kiss my father and mother goodbye, he said, and then I will come with you. Go back, Elijah said, for, for what have I done to you? So Elijah left him, went back. He took his yoke of oxen and slaughtered them. He burned the plowing equipment okay, to cook the meat. What is he doing here? <laughs> and he gave it to the people and they ate. Then he set out to follow Elijah and became his servant. Elijah, coming out of that deep depression he was experiencing, he finds this eager, zealous young man. It's a rare thing to find young people who just genuinely want to trust in God. I think we got a few of them up here. I, pray, I think we got a few of them up here. And it is a rare thing. I don't know if we remember that enough. It is a rare thing. And we need to honor that. We need to fan that flame together as a community. There's no way Elijah could have seen how special this man was or how powerful he would become. But what Elijah probably did see in Elisha was someone who just wanted to trust in God, who was really quick to rely on God because that's the one thing that matters. It's not your gifts. It's not your resume. It's not reaching out to sharp people. Sorry. It's trusting God, and anybody can do that. In time, Elisha inherits a double portion of Elijah's spirit and ends up doing twice as many miracles as his master. What is going on here? What Elijah couldn't see, because he thought he was the end-all prophet, right? He was going to fix it all for Israel. God was going to do all this stuff through him. And I don't know if that's his ego. That's probably more his zeal. And his perspective. And his miracles, his working, was going to be to expose the idolatry in Israel and kind of create that space for God to move. But that's where his 
kind of, that's his role. There we go. That's our lingo. That's his role. Elisha would be the one to kind of step in and bring people closer to God. Now that there was that space and the idolatry, the immorality has been addressed through Elijah, Elisha will step in to bring healing, to help people draw nearer to God. Look at the miracles of Elisha. You'll see it. To bring people nearer to God, to heal people. Wow, how God partners with people. And wow, how little we can see sometimes. What's immediately in this passage when we're talking about the path to holiness, Elisha was all in from the time that Elijah trusted, uh, called him. And he was all in on trusting God. Right? All in on trusting God. We're going to dig into that. That attitude of him being all in and trusting God is what led him to a path to having a whole life. Amen. So we're going to dive in on Elisha and talk about what this means Wholeness, wholeness. What can we learn from this person? Y'all ready? Yeah. Um, so that was the intro. Super Bowl doesn't start till five thirty. You're fine. Five thirty. Five. You're fine. We're gonna take this verse by verse, starting in nineteen. Okay. So no points. No clever names for points. The verse is the point. Okay. All right. Nineteen. So Elijah went from there and found Elisha, son of Shaphat. He was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen, and he himself was driving the 12th pair. Elijah went up to him and threw his cloak around him. Okay, I know we already read this, but we're doubling back. So unlike Elijah, Elisha was prosperous. Prosperous. What did I say? (laughs) Prosperous. And most likely very wealthy. Um, Twelve yoke of oxen is not an easy thing to come by, right? And the idea here is not that he had this long train of 12 of them. That doesn't make sense. You don't need that many oxen all on one plow. It's probably that there are, they're in pairs, and he probably also, because he's probably super wealthy, probably has servants driving the others. And he himself is driving the 12th. So there's symbolism in here, that 12, the tribes of Israel. If you know, you know, right? Okay. He's, he's either, so he's either driving all 12, which doesn't really make sense, or he has 11 other servants, each driving a pair of oxen with him also. He comes from a prosperous, functional family unit, and we can assume that because he wants to go back and, and, and say farewell to his parents, Right? Um, he didn't just leave him. He's like, all right, peace. Wholeness, I think this is significant to say as well. We'll get there later, but Elijah's not a rich guy. He's living in a cave. A fuzzy cloak. I mean, that's what he had. You know, so interesting pair of these two, yeah? We'll come back to that. All right, here we go. Wholeness is typically connected not just with hard work, but engagement. Engagement. Elisha was working hard. He was engaged. He was involved when Elijah came to meet him. Yeah? He's in the middle of doing his, he's, he's, he's working where he's at in life. God rarely calls disengaged people in Scripture. I mean, just look in Scripture. When people are met, even as Jesus meets his disciples, you know, it's just interesting. 
that everybody's kind of, they're, they're doing what they're doing, and it's not necessarily what they're doing is the right thing or whatever, but they're engaged, they're involved. They're putting themselves out there. Whether fishermen, farmers, tax collectors, God's calling us to be engaged. Wholeness, wholeness comes from your calling. Wholeness. It might be appropriate to pause real quick. Wholeness. Some say happiness, completeness, contentment, wholeness. Wholeness comes from your calling. Elisha was called by God through Elijah. He's given a mission. Wholeness springs from adoption into God's family. Elijah threw his cloak around him, right? He's adopted into this lineage of prophets. Elijah throws his cloak around him. It's a hairy garment. He had an unusual cloak. This became the uniform of the tr true prophet, right? And we see that. Um, I'm going to read a couple of verses here to show that because it's, it's cool. Geek out with me, please. Okay, for our 2 Kings 1.8 says, They replied, he had a garment of hair and a leather. That just doesn't sound good. <laughs> and a leather belt around his waist. The king said, that was Elijah the Tishbite. In Zechariah 13, says, on that day, every prophet will be ashamed of their prophetic vision. They will not put on a prophet's garment of hair in order to deceive. So we see that affirmed in the prophets, that this is kind of the uniform of the prophet. In the Mark 1.6, Jesus' cousin, John wore clothing made of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And who is John the Baptist pointing to? Elijah. Well, yes, Jesus, yeah. I mean, he's proclaiming the way for Jesus, but that, that office of the prophet, yeah? Okay, thanks for geeking out with me. Yeah, taking on a little ride there. Most commentators view Elijah's throwing his cloak around Elisha as a symbol of adoption, right? We know, and we've talked about, maybe you don't, but we have talked about before in ancient Near Eastern culture, the cloak is like, it's, like give, it's given to you by your father, and it, it is a, very much a symbol of adoption when, you're, when you receive that. That is your identity. It is your security, your cloak, right? Okay. Sorry if I'm being redundant, but I think that's a significant thing to consider. Elijah throws his cloak around Elisha, who's not his son. And we see this echoed in Scripture, even into Galatians 3, because who, who are we clothed with? Christ. Hmm. Interesting. I know we're bouncing around a little bit here, but I'm going to bring this home a little bit. If you feel like you're in a place where maybe you've lost your joy a little bit, maybe you've lost your passion and enthusiasm for God's mission, could it be that maybe you've forgotten that you have been called and that you have been adopted into God's family? I think we need to consider that. Let's go on to verse 20, okay? All right. Elisha then left his oxen and ran after Elijah. Let me kiss my father and mother good. So this is kind of weird. Just like Elijah called him and then walked away. I don't know. Let me kiss my father and mother goodbye, he said, and then I'll come with you. Let's keep talking about wholeness here. Wholeness. Wholeness comes from making decisions. You know, Elisha felt the call of God, and he left what he was doing to run after Elijah. Elisha made 
an immediate decision. Apparently he was ready in his heart, and what we don't see in the text is the pre-work to get there. And the upbringing Elisha had to get there, I'm sure he had to wrestle to get to a place where he would be ready when God called him. Are you ready when God calls you to follow, to trust? Are you positioned in that place? The word decide, I don't often geek out about the English words. We like to go back to the ancient text. But decide, the word decide, right, it means to cut off. That's like if you go down to the roots, roots, go on Google, look it up, right? Latin and all that stuff, old English. It means to cut off, right? And I think that's very indicative of the way I can often make decisions where I'm kind of toying with two things and I'm afraid to cut something off. I'm afraid to do one thing. Do I want to keep my oxen and my plow and this stuff because it's I'm comfortable. I have what I need. I have security here. I have a future here. Or God's calling Hmm. That's hard to do, isn't it? You know, this isn't a, uh, you know, I, I want to be careful here when we say cut off, because I understand that can mean different things to different people. Depending on your religious upbringing or background, to cut off could have been misused. I don't know if it has been for you, but we have to be considerate in this. This isn't some sales tactic. Right, I don't. Uh, there's a sitcom. Um, it started as a British comedy, and then came over to the United States. It's called The Office. I don't. <laughs> Alex has never heard of it. There's a scene in one of the characters trying to sell another character his car, um, and he does this thing where he's like, "Buy it, buy it." Three, two, one. Three, two, one. And he like forces this guy into making a quick. You know what I'm talking about forces this guy into making a quick decision. And if you actually have ever been to a dealership to buy a car, they push you into really immediate decisions, quick decisions, right? That's not what this is talking about. When we're talking about people's souls, that is not what we do. That is not what Jesus does. That is not what God does. We trust in God more than that, okay? So this isn't a sales tactic of getting people to make snap decisions. For many of us, there's a long wrestle before we can make that decision of cutting things out. And are you okay with that? Are you okay with waiting in those waters, not just in your own heart, but in someone else's heart? Can you stick it out with them? Because what if someone takes a long time to make that decision, right? What if someone takes a need a little bit of help to get there or unpacking to get there? Are you afraid of how that might reflect on you? Are you afraid of how that might reflect on us? Okay. All right. Sorry, off script, but relevant, yes? Wholeness comes when your priorities are clear. He loved his mother and father, and yet Elisha chose God and God's mission over them. Prioritizing God is love for others. Trusting in God is love for others. That doesn't mean there won't be pain and suffering. That doesn't mean people are going to like it. But love, I've been in many situations myself, in my past, and I'm sure you have too. I've heard people talk about it. I just, I just want to love them, though. I just want to love them. Loving God is loving them. Oh, I just saw that. He got that. That's a part of being all in. You might be in a situation where the thing holding you back is this idea, well, I, 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 I want to love them, or I'm afraid they won't love me. Replace the word love with like, because I think that's what you're talking about in that scenario. Amen? 
Misplaced priorities lead to missed opportunities. We end up loving our own family more than God, and, and we end up making an idol out of our family. Um, C.S. Lewis in The Great Divorce has a great section on, on one person he interacts with in this book is this, is this, is this mom who is like, obsessed with like, her, or, or her son's life. And I think we've all maybe, I'm going to get really real here, because I believe this is something that is universal to humans, are these family dynamics here. How many families become self-involved because God is not involved? Keeps us from serving God. There's a balance that we got to strike there. There's a balance we have to strike there. It was interesting in my story, in my family history. I'm going to speak vaguely and respectfully here. You know, attempts to love and attempts to kind of pursue God, you know, it, it, it's challenging. It's challenging. Um, depending on where you come from, you might have experienced patterns and tendencies in your own family where you just feel like things stagnate. And they're just cycles. And you've heard the same stories of drama over and over again on the phone calls, the family reunions. The same stories just go on repeat, right? And they get passed down generationally, or, or at least the dynamics do. And I've been in this area, and I've got a lot of work to do on myself. A lot. But something I've, I've engaged in is wanting to get God more involved in my family. And that doesn't mean saying Jesus 20 times in a conversation. Right. It means bringing the things of Jesus into the conversation, right? What's interesting is as that has happened, it's, it's helped in some ways. I have a family relationship that has just improved so much because we've pursued healing together. We've pursued talking real, and it's not perfect, and we've got a long ways to go. Relationships that have gotten harder, more painful, hurtful. When you choose God, priorities become really clear. Things become really clear. Yes? I think the Bible talks about something about stepping into the light. <laughs> People love darkness. We want the darkness. It's comfortable. We can hide in there. Things can be ambiguous. We get caught up in these situations where those things never change. Step into the light. Bring God into these situations. Priorities become clear, and then you can start to feel some wholeness. Does that make sense? Okay. All right. Thank you. Thank you for your grace there. Wholeness comes when you count the cost and choose freely. Elijah says, go back for what have I done to you? That's just a, a Hebrew um, way of saying, do as you please. Just do, do what you need to do, right? That's fine. We're fine. Go do what you need to do. So God was a calling Elisha during a dark period of Israel's history. Ahab and Jezebel were reigning. We see that, if you know the context here of chapter 18. Believers were hard to find. It wasn't that they were non-existent, but 7,000, I imagine they were kind of peppered out just kind of holding on, right? You might be able to relate to that, right? Holding on. It was dangerous, and Elisha was a wanted man. Elijah essentially told him, 
Go do what you need. Go count the costs. Go back and see if you really want to follow me. If you do it for your family, if you do it for your friends or other people, you will in the long term get resentful, blame people for hard times, get an attitude when you're corrected, just all sorts of dynamics we can dive into. Wholeness comes when you count the costs and you make that choice freely. This is your life. No one can make you follow God. And I really want to turn to you guys right now. No one can make you follow God. Right? No one can make you do that. Might be a weird thing, I guess, for a preacher to turn to people and say in a message, but that's important. Because how many, how much, how much of American Christianity is a culture of people who feel like they have to? And then when things get hard, they aren't really in tune with the core of the faith, and they flee. Let's go to verse 21. We're going verse by verse here. Elisha left him and went back. He took his yoke of oxen and slaughtered them. He burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat and gave it to the people, and they ate. Then he set out to follow Elijah and became his servant. Wholeness comes from burning the plow. Elisha didn't leave an exit door for himself, a contingency plan. And I'm like, I just... I cringe inwardly. I'm like, ooh, not cool. How? And some of you guys are like, I've I've done that. I get it. It's hard for me. I'm like a plan B, C, D kind of guy. Like, but that comes from an inward trust to a throwback to summer of 2021, self-trust. And self-trust is a, it wasn't that long ago. Self-trust is a bust. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. He burns the means of his livelihood. So in case you miss it here, he burns the means of his livelihood and slaughters his oxen. This sounds like something that happens in Luke, right? Something that Jesus... I can reference... If you want to go there, you can go there with me, but I'm going to read from Luke 9, starting in 61. Um, Jesus is interacting with someone who says, I want to follow you. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. little call back here to 1 Kings 19. This seems almost identical to Elisha's call and response. Why does Jesus seemingly react or reject this person? All right, here we go, because you have to watch, this is funny, huh? you have to watch your butt, okay? But first, let me go back. Yeah, you can laugh, it's okay. God's people can have some humor. Watch your butt. The word but negates everything before it. So let's just, an example. I have to, see, okay, yeah, all right. Scanning the audience, okay. It's like, you look great in that dress, but I think it's, it just kills it. I think you're a great cook, but you're so strong and handsome, but I forgive you, 
But you make a good point. But yeah, you guys see what happens there. But negates everything before it. That's not necessarily what we see in the Greek, but that's the principle we see there. Because I know we're going at the English word but here. The idea, though, the whole point of this, why Jesus reacts differently to this person in Luke, is because this person was not willing to, to let the past go and focus on God's call and mission. Really, the idea here is this guy wanted to go back to his parents until his parents died and then follow Jesus. It's a little bit different than what Elisha was doing. Elisha's like, let me go say, and then let me just go kiss him. And I'll be right back. He said that, and then I will come follow you, right? Elisha burned his plow, closing the door on self-trust. There's no wholeness without sacrifice. Let me say that one more time. There is no wholeness without sacrifice. Sacrifice isn't burning one of your plows or just half of your oxen. We're gonna trim the budget a little bit, right? We'll go on one vacation a year instead of two, or whatever it might be. I don't know, I'm not trying to pick on anyone, but you know what I mean. It's often probably a lot more deeper. Those are surface level things. Fill in the blank for yourself. All right, here we go, I'm doing it. Baseball reference. You can't steal second base with your foot still on first. I did it. I don't like baseball. (laughs) Wholeness comes when you decide to serve. The text says he became his servant. Even though he came from a privileged background, he's not entitled. Elijah was living in caves. Elisha was living in their version of like a mansion. I don't know. He had a whole crew of people helping him work. God's kingdom's upside down. We got to remember that always. It should not look the same way as the world. We don't fight with the same weapons. We don't look the same. We're upside down. Elisha chooses to serve. Some of us, honestly, if we're, I'm just going to say it. Some of us, honestly, we can get so entitled we expect others to meet our, expecta- our own expectations. Right. We end up not serving others. That's not what God is telling us to do. Yeah. Right. No matter who you are, where you come from, your notoriety, your prosperity, whatever, we all come to serve. Wholeness comes when you value spiritual relationships and pursue maturity. Elisha recognized that maturity comes from learning from a mature person, right? The pursuit of spiritual growth is so exciting. It really is. I mean, if you've been there, uh, the best thing I think we can talk about in our culture is like when we study the Bible. It's so exciting of a time, yeah? And your heart's pounding, and you're just, you know, it's just so warm and fuzzy. But that came because of close spiritual relationships, yeah? A closeness with God and a closeness with people. You're meeting with them all the time, and you're, you're talking about the real stuff. I think we talked about this last week, didn't we? And we just think the ball's going to keep on rolling, baby. There's no bumps. It's all downhill. It's easy. No. 
these kinds of close spiritual relationships do not fall into your lap. They don't. God will present you with opportunities, but if your priorities aren't straight, you're not going to catch them. If you don't pursue, Elisha ran after Elijah. If you don't pursue, you're going to miss out. And I say that to say, because some of us are in a place where you're like, I've been here and just, I'm, you're waiting for someone to come to you. You're waiting for that relationship. You're waiting for that discipleship. Mm. Elisha followed someone else, and then he became a master himself later. This is the first, this is in Jewish teaching, this is taught as the first student-teacher relationship. This is kind of the beginning of the rabbinical tradition, right? In Judaism. This is Elijah and Elisha is kind of the start of all of that. They were inseparable. The only thing that could separate their friendship was God himself. If you want to turn with me to 2 Kings, you'll see that. You probably know the story. Uh, 2 Kings 2, in verse 6. Then Elijah said to him, Stay here, the Lord has sent me to the Jordan. And he replied, As surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So the two of them walked on. Fifty men from the company of the prophets went and stood at a distance, facing the place where Elijah and Elisha had stopped to the Jordan. Elijah took his cloak, rolled it up, struck the water with it, and the water divided to the right and to the, le to the left. And the two of them crossed over on dry ground. When they had crossed, Elijah and Elisha said to Elisha, Tell me, what can I do for you before I'm taken from you? Let me inherit a double portion of your spirit, Elisha says. You have asked for a difficult thing, Elijah said, yet if you see me when I'm taken from you, it will be yours. Otherwise, it will not. And as they were walking along, talking together, like, they're just still, like, they're just, Elisha's still committed to this relationship, to learning from him, yeah? Suddenly, a chariot of fire and horses of fire appeared and separated the two of them. Elijah went up to heaven in a whirlwind. Elisha saw this and cried out, my father, my father, the chariots and horsemen of Israel. And Elisha saw him. No more. Then he took hold of his garment, tore it in two. Elisha then picked up Elijah's cloak that had fallen from him, went back, stood on the bank of the Jordan. He took the cloak that had fallen from Elisha and struck the water with it. Where now is the Lord, the God of Elijah, he asked. And when he struck the water, it divided to the right and to the left, and he crossed over. Go back with Elijah to the beginning of chapter 19, before he met Elisha, where he was at, that dark place. You think he ever saw any of this playing out? No. Elijah didn't replicate himself. Rather, he showed Elisha how to trust in God always. And Elisha ends up receiving that double portion. I'm not going to go, I got a list here. I was going to read them all. It's like three pages long listed out all the miracles that they did. I'll just say this. In the career of Elijah, there are 14 miracles that he did. 14. Elisha, 28. Double portion of his spirit, yeah? Anything else interesting about those numbers? 14, 28. Can you divide them by, I don't know, seven? Right. Wow, it's like God put his thumbprint on it. He's like, this is this. Yep, relationship approved. <laughs> the 
That's how I want you guys to do this. Are you pursuing spiritual maturity? Are you pursuing spiritual relationships? Do you have a spiritual friend or mentor? That's something we've always talked about since I don't know when, Church Plant 91. It's something we will always talk about. Amen? We're going to bring this to a close here, all in the, the, the path to wholeness. Elijah burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat and gave it to the people and they ate. Elijah's calling, celebrated by a huge party. There's so much joy and celebration. Everyone is eating and happy. Why? Because you had somebody that was all in. When we decide to go all in on trusting God, it has an effect on the people around us, right? That doesn't mean to say every day is going to be the celebration or people are always going to like it, but we do always become a blessing to our communities within our community and outside of. Amen? Amen. Are you all in? Ask yourself that. What's the question God asked Elijah in the cave? What are you doing here? Ask yourself that. What are you doing here? Are you all in on trusting him? If not, that might be something contributing to your lack of wholeness. If you're a little bit unhappy, discontent. We're complex people. There's more to it. I don't want to oversimplify here. But are you all in on trusting God? Make a decision today to go all in on trusting him. Follow that path to wholeness. Amen? Burn the plow. Seek those mature spiritual relationships. Initiate those. Be a student. Stop waiting to be all in. Amen? Amen. Amen. Um, We're going to have one of our young men come up and read a passage for communion and then lead us in our time of communion with a prayer. Okay? So, Clay, come on up, brother. Uh, Colossians 3, verse 1 through 17. Since then you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. 
and over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you are called to peace, and be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And if you'll join me in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time we have together, for the wonderful message for, for each other and for all you've given us, Lord. I pray that you can help those who don't have these things or who are lacking other things, whatever it may be, Lord, and that you'll provide for them and help us provide for them in any way we can, Lord, and use us. Let us remember you, Lord, as you'd like us to remember you, and let us be with you eventually. Uh, we know you're always with us, Lord, in spirit, but let us be with you completely, Lord. And we love you and thank you. Let it be a wonderful day. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.